In the digital music era, we have seen a number of lawsuits over payment for songs. But now, dueling lawsuits threaten to rock terrestrial radio stations. A songwriter's group, Global Music Rights, alleges that 10,000 radio stations colluded in an illegal cartel to underpay them for the right to play their music. GMR only represents about 70 songwriters with 26,000 songs, compared to the combined 22 million songs under ASCAP and BMI's umbrellas. But those 70 songwriters are an elite group from John Lennon. But those 70 songwriters are an elite group from John Lennon to Pharrell Williams, Shakira, Kenny Chesney, Justin Bieber, the list goes on. And GMR was designed to be an exclusive boutique organization most likely to get songwriting heavyweights out from under the blanket licensing of ASCAP and BMI. GMR's lawsuit follows a lawsuit by the radio station's trade group last month alleging GMR was exercising monopoly power over its copyrights. Our guests are intellectual property litigator Terence Ross, a partner at Catton Muchen Rosenman, and Serona Elton, a professor at the University of Miami Front School of Music. Terry, explain what's going on here and how songwriters in ASCAP and BMI get paid when their songs are played on terrestrial radio stations. So it's no surprise, June, probably, that this is all about money. And ASCAP and BMI control about 95% of the copyrighted music that is played on terrestrial radio stations, the things we listen to on AM and FM radio, for example. Um, the concept behind GMR is relatively simple. Um, they go after an elite group of songwriters. Um, their theory is that because they are the more popular um, songwriters, um, that the radio station should pay more. Um, to hear their, to be able to play their music um, on their radio stations and therefore charge a higher uh, play rate than what ASCAP and uh, BMI charge and return more money as a result to those songwriters. Um, uh, the radio stations um, have simply refused to go along with that theory. They want a uh, the same sort of system that they deal with with BMI and ASCAP, which is essentially um, a uniform rate uh, depending on the type of music. Um, and, and that's where we are from an economic um, um, situation. So along uh, comes uh, the trade association for the radio stations, and says, well, the way to break this logjam is to file uh, an antitrust lawsuit against GMR and to force GMR to agree to a consent order of the same type that ASCAP and BMI have, um, which sets um, rates in a uniform manner and requires them to deal with all of the radio stations on an equal and fair basis. And that's where we are essentially at the moment. So, Serona, now we have them suing each other. You have the the radio stations suing GMR. You have GMR suing the radio stations. Does either of them really have a good legal claim, or is this just posturing for negotiation purposes? I, I do think that they both have a good legal claim. Um, if you take the one um, that the uh, Radio Music Licensing Committee has brought, which, which by the way, is not um, what you might think of as a typical trade association. They exist solely for the purpose of negotiating um, with the music community for licenses for the radio stations. Um, if you look at their case, it's very similar to a case they brought against CSAC, which is another performing rights organization um, that ended up settling around summer 2015. And a lot of the allegations are the same. 
claim. Um, and in that case, there was uh, a ruling on um, an injunction where the court didn't grant the injunction, but it, it did find that there was a likelihood of success on the merits. Um, and so, you know, one could say that if those same set of facts are proven to be true in both cases and it's in front of the same judge, you might end up with the same sort of uh, ruling. So um, I, I wouldn't say that it's sort of frivolous or baseless um, in terms of its similarity to what was already uh, brought and, and, you know, they got resulted in a settlement ultimately. Um, what's, what's more interesting, if you look at the case that GMR ha has brought, um, you know, their case uh, their complaint, if you read it, is, is full of um, lots of factual allegations about the way the RMLC behaves. Um, and that, I think, is a, a more, um, it appears to be a more novel argument. I don't know that anybody has ever brought a case like that against that uh, particular organization, at least not that I was able to find. Um, and I think if you read those facts, um, you know, it, it also makes a very compelling case. So it, it really, it is one group accusing the other in both ways of, of you know, acting in a very kind of monopolistic or um, in the other case of um, the other way around, monogenistic um, behaviors. And I think they both are, are really interesting cases that right. have merit. Okay. Terry, the GMR lawsuit says that radio stations pay only about 4% of their revenue to songwriters and streaming music services pay more. Why shouldn't a group be able to negotiate a better rate? It does sound like a monopoly. Well, it, it it arguably is a monopoly, but it's one that's been approved by the Department of Justice. So BMI and ASCAP have been in in, in operation since um, I think ASCAP since 1915, and BMI since the the late 30s. And essentially, what they present to radio stations is a a a, a package of of songwriters and their and their musical compositions to play on the record. And they say. Yeah, Take it or leave it, and they have enormous power, economic power in that sense. So the Department of Justice, a long time ago, decided um, we can't allow that. That that's a monopolistic. Um, it puts the radio stations essentially at, at at risk of being held hostage, being held up um, to play the the music, and would shut down the radio industry. And so they pursued antitrust actions against both of those licensing organizations and forced them to enter into consent decrees that essentially regulate on both sides the radio stations and the music licensing organizations, how the payments are going to be made. And what is fundamentally going on here is that GMR does not want to be regulated in that manner. They want to be able to go after individual radio stations and do one-off deals, whereas on the other side um, – the uh, radio stations, RMLC, on behalf of the radio stations, wants to force them into that same model as uh, BMI and ASCAP, essentially, essentially force down their throats a consent decree. A songwriter's group, Global Music Rights, alleges that 10,000 radio stations colluded in an illegal cartel to underpay them for the right to play their music. But those 70 songwriters are an elite group from John Lennon... To Pharrell Williams. It might seem crazy what I'm about to say. 
Shakira, Kenny Chesney, Justin Bieber, the list goes on. And GMR was designed to be an exclusive boutique hoping to get more money for songwriting heavyweights than the blanket licensing of ASCAP and BMI. We've been talking with intellectual property litigator Terrence Ross, a partner at Catton Muchen Rosenman, and Sirona Elton, a professor at the University of Miami Frost School of Music. Terry, is the is this just a way to negotiate a better settlement, a settlement that's different from what BMI and ASCAP has? Well, I, I don't think um, on the part of the radio stations it is. I think the radio stations are are trying fundamentally to impose the same concept of proportionality that's required of ASCAP and BMI. They're trying to impose that on GMR. On the other side, this new suit that was filed earlier this week uh, by GMR out in California, um, I would be raised, certainly raises questions into my in my mind as to whether or not that is designed um, to give them some sort of counterweight to the law, to the earlier lawsuit filed by the radio stations as a way of trying to negotiate. Because fundamentally, what GMR wants is is to be able to charge uh, at a higher rate um, than BMI and ASCAP, or or else the artists that they've collected so far have no reason to stay with them. Um, Taylor Swift is a GMR artist. She'd previously been with, I believe, BMI, um, and she moved over to GMR on the promise that they could get her more money for her radio, for her songs being played on radio. If they can't deliver on that, if GMR can't deliver on that, I don't see why any of those 70 artists you just mentioned um, don't simply return to BMI and ASCAP. Well, Serena, the, you know, almost everybody except for these elite songwriters is with ASCAP or BMI, and now they are trying they're trying to get more money should they be able to get more money or is there will the system really work in radio and if if uh you don't have sort of these blanket agreements where radio stations pay the same thing for everyone well i think um i think you could make an argument that they should pay more money because these particular recorded assets are more valuable um, and, and I think it's important to understand that GMR is offering a blanket license, um, but you know there's a difference between being the kind of license that they're willing to grant as opposed to the rates that they want. You know, ASCAP and BMI together represent a you know it's been reported in the high 90s, 95% or so of music content that's out there. And you know the reason they became subject to the consent decrees when they did was because of the percentage of the market that they controlled. Um, in this case, GMR represents a, a tiny portion of the market, really, truly tiny, 70 or so odd songwriters um, with a, a small catalog. And it, it would be, I think, difficult to say that um, when, you're, when you're not operating in the size that ASCAP and BMI are, that you are wielding monopolistic power by simply not being willing to license your content at a, at a rate that you're not you're not okay with. Um, you know, on some level, a copyright owner is allowed to license their content at whatever rate they see fit. Um, and they, you know, in other areas of, of music, uh, sorry, other areas of like TV and film and books and the like, you know, you can't imagine someone like a Steven Spielberg or, or someone like a J.K. Rowling being forced to license their content in particular ways and subject to some kind of oversight um, that just wouldn't make sense to anybody. And so it's, so it's fascinating how people think of music differently. You know, not all songs are equal in terms of their commercial viability and in terms of the amount of money that can be commanded for their use. Um, 
so I think absolutely it could be the case that let's say the uh, this these all settle and a higher rate is agreed to and you know life would move on just fine. Um, so I, I don't think them paying the stations, paying a higher rate for this particular premium content is going to break the system. I think all right. quite the opposite. We'll have to leave it there. I want to thank you both. That's Serona Elton, a professor at the University of Miami Frost School of Music and intellectual property litigator Terrence Ross, a partner at Katten Rosenman. Thanks for being on Bloomberg Law. Coming up, if you ever call or email people abroad, beware, because the government could be listening or reading without getting a warrant. I'm June Grosso with Michael Best. Coming up, we'll be talking to Professor Noah Feldman. This is Bloomberg. <laughs> 